Hey, this is Ashley, and I'm excited to share that right now I'm recruiting new mentees for both my Mentor Me Accelerator program, which is a six-week fast-paced program for new and mid-level professionals, and for my Mentor Me Mastermind, a 10-week program for mid-level and executive-level leaders who are looking to take on high-level positions across their organization or even new organizations. If you are a new mid-level or senior level professional woman who's looking for expert level mentorship at this critical stage in your career, make sure you go to my website at mentor-me.org right now and schedule your mentor moment. Now is the time to get the mentorship you need to move from where you are to where you want to be in your career. Whether it's the fast-paced six-week program or the extended and more full support 10-week program, I'm excited to invite you into the accelerator or the mastermind to really help you drive changes in your career, advocate for yourself in a more meaningful way, seek out new career opportunities, find and secure those opportunities, make more money, and have more impact in your industry today. As a mentor, it is my job to help women navigate some of the toughest obstacles in the world of work, whether that's microaggressions, dealing with horrible bosses, navigating job searching in a challenging economy, or navigating coworkers and colleagues who seem destined to see you fail. Believe me, I've seen it all, and I'm so excited to help you advance your career in spite of all the obstacles that exist for Black women in particular in the world of work. The first step to be a part of any of my mentorship programs is to visit my website at mentor-me.org and schedule your mentor moment. That will give you the opportunity for us to hop on a phone call, understand what the most pressing needs are facing your career, and identify a solution today. The current programs are the last opportunity to work with me in 2020. And I promise you, if you threw this year away, you want to bring it back, pull it out of the trash can and resurrect it today. These are the last opportunities to work with me this year. And so if you know you want to make a meaningful impact in your career this year, make sure that you apply for the Mentor Me Accelerator and the Mentor Me Mastermind at mentor-me.org. Hey, this is Ashley. Hey, this is Marcy. And this is School and Life, a weekly podcast about life, love, and occasionally libations. If you haven't recently, make sure you check out our website at schoolandlifepod.com. That's S-C-H-O-L-I-N lifepod.com. So this week's topic was all about leveraging data, right? Leveraging data to get what we want out of the world of work. And I'm so thrilled to be able to really connect with you um, on this week's live, on Monday's live, to talk about what it means um, to leverage data in the world of work. Specifically in this week's live, we talked about key performance indicators. Key performance indicators are the numbers, the data, the metrics that your employer is using um, to measure success in your organization or to measure your own success as a professional. And so we really talked about what it means 
to um, have what key performance indicators are, what they look like across different um, fields, whether your field is corporate, nonprofit, or uh, educational leadership, maybe your field is healthcare, or um, you know the helping professions, any field, um, we talked about what those key performance indicators are, and then we really talked about you know how to leverage those key performance indicators to get what you want out of the world of work. I specifically talked about how I leverage key performance indicators to secure a raise and a promotion this year during the pandemic. And I've hosted a webinar on this topic as well. Um, so I don't want you to miss out on um, the last live of August. So the last live next Monday, August 31st, I will be hosting a live on um, professionalism and authenticity. I know so many Black women struggle with what it means to be professional and authentic and show up as your full self in the world of work. Um, so I want to make sure that you get access to um, access to that uh, live. So make sure you follow me on Instagram, instagram.com backslash Ashley Ashire. That's A-S-H-L-E-Y-A-S-S-H-I-R-E. -S 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 you can also check out the show notes where I list my Instagram. You can join me live on Instagram um, so that we can um, talk about um, authenticity and professionalism. Um, there is no replay of last week's or uh, this week's live. Uh, you do need to catch it live. The only people who have access to the, the recordings are my existing mentees. I edit those down and then I um, share them to them. Um, so if you want ongoing access to those lives, you can, of course, become a mentor mentee. Uh, and the first step for that is scheduling your mentor moment at mentor-me.org. Um, otherwise, make sure you join me live next Monday, August 31st is the last one. And I'm so hyped because I know so many Black women really struggle with how to show up as them, their full selves at work while maintaining what uh, people like to call professionalism. professionalism. And I'm going to break down what professionalism is and what it isn't and how it often stands in the way of us thriving in the world of work. So if you're ready for mentorship and its impact that it can have on advancing your career, check out my website at mentor-me.org. You can schedule your mentor moment. I look forward to helping you. So now we're diving into I Digress. And this week, we're talking about addiction. Addiction is defined as a brain disease that is manifested by compulsive substance use despite harmful consequences as defined by the American Psycho Psychological Association. Substance addiction, um, drugs and alcohol is most commonly talked about in this space, but there are concerns that we can be addicted to a lot more, including sex, exercise, and even chocolate. So listen as Marcy and I talk about addictions, how they've shown up in our own lives, and what we do to be aware of addictions in the lives of others and how we provide support. So Ashley, do you have a history of addiction in your family? I don't know if the addiction is diagnosed, Marcy, but I definitely um, know that I've had experiences um, with family members who I've known to abuse substances, uh, mostly alcoholism um, and, and abusing alcohol and just seeing that and seeing the um, how it deteriorates the body and seeing how it changes or impacts their mood and who they are and sort of how they show up in the world. Um, I remember being very afraid of alcohol for most of my young life, um, not even having my first alcoholic beverage until I was 23 because I was so worried that I wouldn't be able to, you know, manage alcohol on my own, right, that I wouldn't be able to do it safely um, and that, you know, I was afraid of the history of the, uh, you know, what I perceived as addiction in my own family and not sure of my ability to manage it myself. 
Um, I'm not aware of any sort of other his, like um, addictions in my family, but alcoholism has definitely shown up. Um, and I've seen it's, it's a real impact on um, family members. What about you, Marcy? Yeah, I think it's so interesting that you bring up that part about like it's not diagnosed because I think that in families, particularly in black families, we don't get diagnosed with these different kinds of things. Like I've never heard anyone say that, yeah, I'm addicted to alcohol or I have alcohol use disorder or any of these kinds of things. So it can often go unnoticed. It can go unrecognized. It can go and be not acknowledged, which I think is a challenging part of even identifying these within our families. Like we make these, excuse me, we make these conclusions about um, what we're perceiving or what we think is going on. And they have like harmful consequences and damaging effects on our families, but we don't necessarily um, always have a label for it. And honestly, even thinking about the label and how stigmatized and how, um, how people try to avoid being labeled by things and how it doesn't allow people to get the proper treatment. Those are kinds of some of the things I even think about with addictions and families um and even to your point earlier that it goes further away from substances right so now in a lot of ways i think that social media is things that we're being addicted to um and even like social interaction in general and outside of the pandemic i think that that comes up a lot um i wouldn't necessarily say that i am addicted to anything or have been addicted to anything but i definitely notice that pull to want to do certain things frequently or do certain things more often than is necessary or is like healthy in some ways. And I think it's really important to acknowledge that when you have that pull, you check yourself if you can. Like some things when we're talking about substances, it does start to change the chemical um, the chemicals in your brain. And so it's not as easy to just say, oh, I'm gonna put it down. But definitely for those of us that aren't necessarily addicted to substances or aren't necessarily um, biologically addicted to things, it is important to notice, am I doing this a little more than it is in a healthy way? And see if you can start to pull a step or come back from that. Um, would you say that you're presently addicted to anything or have ever been addicted to anything? I'm not presently and I have never been, but I feel like I've come close, right? Like I feel like there were times in my life, um, particularly with like alcohol when, you know, it was just like, oh, I might as well finish this bottle or, oh, I might as well have another glass or, oh, I might as well. And it was definitely coping. It was, you know, after a long day and I'm using air quotes here, right? A long day at work um, or, you know, like of being a social drinker, but then get, you know, drinking to the point of like, oh, let me just go to sleep and I'll wake up tomorrow and, you know, see how everything is then and really using it as more of a coping mechanism than, you know, just like a leisurely thing to do or really even liking the taste of, you know, alcohol or whatever I was drinking. And I think one of the things that I'm grateful for is that one, like I, I have a history of what I believe is alcoholism in my family. So I was very like, aware of that so even when I started drinking like I was really thoughtful about what I would drink and how much and then when I felt like oh you're using this too loosey-goosey is the only way I could think to describe it like I was like oh yeah like no more alcohol in the house or like only you know a one bottle at a time in the house like you're just really limiting it um you know or only never drinking by yourself always drinking with somebody else so that you have some you know accountability or whatever in that space and I feel like that's helped um and I think that one of the reasons why I wanted to really bring this conversation to school 
school and life is because just randomly I ran across a social media page called Black Girl Sober. Um, and it was uh, just an online community for black women um, who are like doing sober living. And I was just, you know, checking out their website uh, or checking out their Instagram. And I was so like, it made me like very acutely aware that a big part of my social interactions have alcohol. And I wonder if I, like if I had a sober friend or a friend who was struggling with addiction, like, like how would I, like how would they interact with me? How would that change our interactions? How would it, how would it change the way we connect and would they feel like they could still be a part of my life and a part of our community if they didn't drink? And I was really like, I don't know why I got so wrapped up into it myself. But then I was really just like, cause you know, it's like, Oh, let's grab a drink or like, Oh, what you drink. I mean, it just falls so naturally off my tongue. And so I was really struggling with like, wow, do, am I insensitive on this piece? You know, it's like when you learn about privilege and then you starting to think like, oh, I got so much privilege. That's how I felt about like alcohol. Like, wow, like this is such a big part of your life. Um, and not that I'm even drinking all the time. It just is a part of my social life, I guess. Um, and so it made me think like, what are the primary signs of addiction, right? And like, is there anyone in my life who might struggle with addiction? And how am I like enabling or support, like enabling that, that addiction or how can I maybe do better at like being supportive um, of them, you know, uh, moving away from addiction and into sober life. So, you know, Marcy, can you talk a little bit about like some of the primary signs of addiction and sort of how that shows up? Sure. And I would just like to give a disclaimer that this is not my area of expertise or my specialty. And so this is just like general knowledge that I know. Um, one of the key signs for addiction and what we consider to be like a substance use disorder is um, cravings. So when you have been using something, because we're not just talking about alcohol, we're talking about drugs, we're talking about weed, we can be an addiction, we're talking about social media, we're talking about porn, when you're craving it, when you haven't had it in a while, but you feel very, um, you want, you really want it, you desire it a lot, and you don't feel like you have a lot of control over whether or not you get it, that can be, can be, a sign of addiction or substance use disorder. Um, another one is tolerance. So when you have a, we're going to specifically talk about substances with this. If you have a substance and it takes longer for you to get that high or for you to get that buzz. So if you're used to like coming home and having a glass of wine and then within a month, it takes like two to three glasses of wine to get that same experience that you had a couple of weeks ago. That means that your tolerance is increasing and that can be a sign of addiction. Um, one of the ways that we diagnose an addiction is when it starts to impair your occupational functioning, your social functioning any kind of functioning that you're engaged in. So for example, if you're drinking so much that you're constantly missing work, or if you're using substances and going to work, even though you know that that's dangerous, those are signs of addiction. And really that piece about, I feel out of control and I feel like I can't stop it. That's a really big part of it. Um, one of the things that one of the psychiatrists that I used to work with would do is ask her clients, can you go 30 days without using this substance? And if you can't go 30 days without using something, chances are you might be addicted to it. Um, some other things to think about is like whether or not you've tried to cut down or felt that you should cut down. That's something to think about. Whether or not people have criticized you about your substance use or any of these other behaviors, those can be signs um, feeling bad or feeling guilty about whatever it is that you might be addicted to. Hiding 
whatever it is that you might be addicted to, or if you have to like use that substance. So I know a lot of people, the first thing that they do in the morning is they roll over and they grab their phone and they look at social media. Do you have to do the thing first thing in the morning to get your day started? Um, so those are kind of like a very broad general way of thinking about addiction and whether or not, um, whether or not that's showing up for yourself or for someone that you know. Yeah. And I think that, um, you know, like that, that's so helpful. Like the tolerance piece and the, the, like, um, like, can't you go without it? It just, you need to start your day. It's the dependency that like what I'm hearing you say, like it's the dependency that, 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 that leads to addiction or that is a sign of the addiction. Um, and you know, I, haven't personally gone like sat with someone through addiction um but i can just imagine you know that i hear stories of friends who've done that who have parents right who um abuse some type of substance and have an addiction um and just the pain that i i um see in the eyes of others as they like help loved ones navigate addiction um and how i've seen it tear apart families and distant siblings and you know just all of that is so triggering and i, I think it's so it's so impactful, right? Because addiction, um, and I think you mentioned this too, Marcy, like it doesn't just impact the person who is addicted, it impacts the entire family, the entire community. Um, and so um, for anybody out there who is who has a loved one, who has a friend, who has a partner, who is struggling with addiction, you know, my thoughts and prayers are with you as you sort of navigate that because um, I can also imagine addiction can lead to abuse, right? So like this idea that like, don't leave me here, I'm trying, uh, you don't understand what it's like. Like I can just imagine the guilt and shame that comes with trying to be a caretaker of somebody that's a, that has an addiction um, as well. Um, and you know, the, the blaming, the finger pointing um, and all of that that comes with that. So um, I could just um, imagine the struggles with that. Um, Marcy, you know, in, in your practice, right? Like, have you ever helped, um, anyone sort of help support someone through addiction and, and what kind of advice or, su uh, uh, support do you provide them? Yeah, I, um, because a lot of times substance use can be co-occurring with trauma, um, and it was a lot of concerns that people present with, it's definitely been a part of the work that I've done. Um, again, this is not my area of expertise. This is not my, this is not the work that I specialize in, but definitely helping people to, well, let me back up. One of the things that is really important to me is figuring out where people are and what, um, what their level of motivation is to make these changes. And so even for people who maybe present with a different mental health concern and the substance use is there, I don't jump in with, you have to go completely abstinent um, or you have to completely abstain from anything. I really do try to meet people where they are and figure out like, what is the the next step that you can take, especially when it's not like you said, this violent or abusive kind of environment, 
if there are smaller steps that people can take rather than it just being a cold turkey kind of thing, I try to meet them at that place. Um, and then we also try to talk about like the environment that people are in. If you're, if you're, like you said, if your social engagements are at the bar all the time, if that's the only place that you have um, interactions with people after work, we might want to think about how can we get you in a different environment? How can we take you to a coffee shop as opposed to being at the bar? Really kind of looking at lifestyle factors and seeing if there are different things that we can change around those. Um, and then offering new coping strategies. A lot of times, particularly with the people that I talk to who use marijuana, it's a coping mechanism. It's something that they're trying to use to self-medicate. It's something that they're trying to use to calm down. And even though I'm very honest with people about this new thing that we're trying to introduce is not going to get you the quick high that you're looking for, for with marijuana or with any other substance that you use, but we can start to incorporate new things that might help you to cope with your situation that's going to be healthier and it's not going to be damaging to your health. Um, so those are kind of some of the things that I really do try to focus on with people. And the more that it feels collaborative and we feel like we're working towards something together, the more successful it is with people. Um, and I think that that's really important in doing this as well. A lot of times addictions, regardless of what they are, can shut people out. Like it can be isolating and um, people can feel very alone in it. But having knowing that they have someone with them to support them and encourage them can often be one of the biggest motivating factors to be able to overcome something like that um have you ever helped someone just in your personal life who's struggling with addiction i haven't but i can empathize and i, I love the collaborative nature for which you like approach your work um you know with people um and i do think like i've always heard therapists say that like you know it has to be together it's a joint venture you know i provide strategies and support but you have to sort of be willing to do the work and so that that definitely resonates with me just from the my experience with therapy but then just also in just life you know you have to sort of be willing to do the work with guided supports from a licensed professional um and i wonder sometimes too, um, if Black people, if women, if, um, you know, people who are sort of high achieving and are really committed to the work, who are busy, are we more susceptible to addiction than anyone else? You know, I think I see a lot of my mentees really being addicted, I would assume, to like, success or credentialing right like this constant like i gotta have another credential i gotta get another degree i gotta do this i gotta do that this dependency on um achievement in a way that i think is unhealthy and really focusing i'm encouraging folks to focus less on achievement and more on impact um but i think that that's hard for a lot of people to grasp do you think that there's something about the demographic we serve right so women um, you know, in their, you know, late 20s, early 30s, um, you know, thinking about life and, and, and something that makes us more susceptible to addiction than others? Hmm, that is a really great question that I hadn't really um, considered before. But what I will say is, I think that a lot of times addiction comes from, um, well, there are lots of factors. And so there can be a genetic component, um, there can just be, but I also think that the environmental component plays a really big part in it. And oftentimes, not 100% of the time, but oftentimes we come from environments that have a lot of struggle or have a lot of like um, uncertainty, unpredictability, instability, and that can tend to lead itself to more 
addiction. I also think that we, because of what we talked about earlier about it not being acknowledged, is that there's so much that we don't know. So then we have these experiences that we are, we're having because the other people haven't talked to us about them. So we don't know what we're doing. But if we had known that there was a history of addiction in our family, maybe we would be more mindful of those behaviors. So I definitely think that the stigma plays a part in it. But also kind of going back to that instability piece is that oftentimes addiction are are sprouted from a place of trying to be in control of something, particularly when I think about like exercise and eating and things of that nature. And so if you're in an unstable environment, chances are you're going to be looking for things that you can control. And then it just spirals into, oh, this feels really good. Like this is something I can control and it feels really good until it's out of control. So I don't know that it necessarily makes Black women or Black people more susceptible to it, but I do think that a lot of those environmental factors really can play a big role in enforcing that. Indeed, indeed. And um, as we digress, you know, for me, just really paying attention, <laughs> um, being thoughtful and mindful um, helps me guard against um, minor addictions in my own life, but also be acutely aware of like how addiction can show up in um, the lives of people I love, right? So like just now I'm like, now that I've started to engage with this Black Girl Sober community, I'm like, oh, you know, you know, what does it mean to talk about, to host a podcast whose tagline is life, love, and libations? Is that inclusive? Like, how would they feel about that? Would they feel connected? You know, thinking about, like, inviting friends, like, hey, you want to go out, um, you know, to dinner? Or do you want to, you know, do you want to get something? And then, you know, like, hey, are you drinking tonight? Rather than, like, oh, let me get you a drink or, like, let's celebrate. Like, making sure every celebration, every gathering is centered around alcohol, right? Because maybe that that, that person's struggling with addiction and I don't want to enable that. Um, and then also, like, thinking about those other addictions because I think that there's, like, lots of stigma, right? So, like, opioid addiction is treated differently than crack cocaine addiction, which is treated differently than um, an eating, eating addiction or not eating at all right um and those both can be addiction related and so just really i think being mindful being a little bit more present um and then guarding against all my own minor i don't know if addictions can ever be minor or major but just my own things that could i could be addicted to being really thoughtful about that creating space where i don't have to be plugged in where i don't have to be you know connected um to a device right those kinds of things just so that i can protect myself against addiction so how do you think we can be aware and guard against addiction in our lives or in the lives of people we love yeah, definitely would just echo that is be paying attention and mindful of your behaviors and the ones that feel like you don't have control over them. So it's a difference between a habit. And I think the line between habit and addiction are probably is a very thin line, but you can have habits. But if you go a day without your habit, if you go a day without exercising, if you go a day without um having a drink you go a day without being on social media like what does that do to you do you real do you get upset do you get frustrated are you irritable like that is a sign and so making sure that you feel in control of the behaviors that you're engaging in it doesn't feel like um those behaviors are controlling you and i just think that when it comes to engaging with our loved ones one like one of the things i don't want you to do is walk away from this pointing out addictions and everybody's like everybody in your world yeah, <laughs> like, 
<laughs> this is not a diagnostic um, episode. So please don't go to your mom and be like, they said, so I know that you got, no, let's not do that. But it can be a very like, um, how can you be mindful of things? So I've had several friends who go for a certain, like went for like years, um, just not drinking. And I was always like, huh, that's very interesting, <laughs> but it changed the way that I ask people out. So when I want to go out with someone, it's like, do you want to go get like tea, coffee, or like, I don't know if you drink alcohol, but we can go out for drinks too. And usually people are like, girl, yeah, like I want to drink or we'll go for tea or coffee. Um, Cause I also don't drink coffee. So like the idea that I would ask somebody out for coffee is foreign, but because I know that everyone has their own life things I try to like ask the question differently and um, I think that that just helps but I also again it's not necessarily 100% our responsibility to um, be fully aware of everyone's ailments and everyone's issues and concerns but just being open enough to be receptive if they share something with you or if um, something comes up that you're mindful of it and that you are respectful of it, I guess, um, to make sure that you're, make sure that you're being supportive of people in the way that they need to. But also I do think that it's important while on the one hand, I don't want you all to be diagnosing. I do want you all to be, um, considerate of how you can support people because sometimes people are struggling and they need someone that they trust and that they love to just, say, hey, I'm concerned about you. Like, I noticed these things. Can I be of assistance? Can I help, like, offering your support? I think that that's also something that we need to start doing a better job of as well. And I think that, you know, that offering support, I know this is something I struggle with. I often wait for permission. And I sometimes think that like people do just need us to do things for them. Like, I'm just going to send you dinner. Like, I know, like, I, I don't want to, I don't need to ask you if you eating or need to eat. I'm just going to send it and, you know, I'll call you, make sure you got it. Or, you know, I had a friend whose car got stolen a couple of weeks ago and I, I had composed a text like, Hey, I know this is probably a hard time for you. Like, I'm so sorry, blah, blah, blah. Instead, I just cashed up to him a hundred dollars. Cause now he got an Uber for the next, however, until the insurance kick in and blah, blah, blah. Like, I already know what he needs. Like, I don't need to ask him, hey, do you need anything? Let me know how I can support you. I just cashed out from $100 because he needs money for Uber. <laughs> you know, like, or maybe he don't even need it necessarily, but like, that would be helpful, right? Or like, maybe he just, now he like really needs to, he wants to get some ice cream, but he thinking, I mean, I need to save my money so I can figure out how to like put a down payment on a new car. And I just want to get him some ice cream. Like, you know what I'm saying? So like, I'm really just trying to lean into doing stuff that I know, quote unquote, people need, or like, I can just go ahead and make the safe assumption without like waiting for permission. And I invite you to do the same. You got to send nobody a hundred dollars, but you know, send them 12 and be like, go get some ice cream or, um, go take a nap. <laughs> I'll pay for this hour or something. I don't know. Um, just so that they can, they can feel supported. You don't always have to ask for permission so. and we digress. Next up is All Black Everything, Marcy. What do you have for us this week? 
So this week in All Black Everything, it'll be quick, but I just found out something that I'm super excited about. So I know that I've talked about my love for books on this show, um, and I can't remember if I've talked about the Ratchet Books collections that I've read in the past. I think we talked about Zane, but I'm not sure if we talked about Sister Soldier. But if you don't know who Sister Soldier is, go read The Coldest Winter Ever. I cannot believe that you went to talk <laughs> can't believe you got your entire life without reading the coldest winter ever but if you haven't if it was something where you were like "Mm -mm, black exploitation and you didn't read as a kid please go read it because sister soldier is releasing the sequel to the coldest winter ever next march it is called life after death it is currently on pre-order um if you want to get the hardback it's 27 dollars on amazon (laughs) but you can also get the audio book the ebook for half the price I am excited. I will be placing my pre-order because The Coldest Winter Ever was one of my favorite books as a kid, and I cannot wait for the sequel. So definitely, if you are a Sister Soldier fan, go to head over to Amazon or wherever you purchase your pre-orders from. Sign up so that in March, we can maybe convince Ashley and (laughs) and our book club bestie for that to be our book club book of the month. (laughs) Ashley, did you read Coldest Winter Ever when you were younger? Yes, I was way too young to be reading that book. But yes, I definitely did read it. A literal instant classic. Cannot wait for the sequel. And there's no convincing. Bree and I are on top of it. I think we're either we're trying to decide between Dangerous Prayers and um, Untamed for the September book club. But you know, Coldest Winter Ever sequel has to be a part of uh, our 2021 collection. So um, I'm all on top of it <laughs> for sure. Awesome. I would definitely have to join in that that month. So definitely, y'all, go get your pre-order on um, for the sequel to Coldest Winter Ever, Life After Death. And that is it for All Black Everything. Thanks, Marcy. And last but not least is TVT. I'm flipping it over to Marcy. She is going to talk about a Black cinematic classic, um, one that I have not watched enough episodes of. But Marcy, I know you're a fan so I'll let you just take it away in whatever the whatever way the game leads you. <laughs> yes, isn't that so perfect? Um, so yes, I have been binging on the game all weekend. The game is literally one of my favorite um, black television shows. It has all of the feels. It is also super offensive in a lot of ways that I am trying to like reconcile and remember that it was like 2005 or something ridiculous. Um, But it's so good. So if you don't know about the game, which again, where have y'all been? It is a show about um, a couple. One, the woman is in med school, is Tia Maori. She's in med school and she follows her boyfriend love of her life to San Diego because he is a rookie football player for the San Diego Sabres and they're in love and they're happy and they're trying not to give into this um this fame world of being a football star and his girlfriend but she gets sucked in he gets sucked in and the drama pursues (laughs) but it's also like it also just speaks a lot to um relationships It speaks a lot to girlfriend friendships. It speaks a lot to guy relationships. Um, It speaks a lot to forgiveness and love and whether or not you can forgive someone. It speaks to betrayal. Um, 
and all of these just things that happen in our everyday lives but spoiler alert it also triggers me so this is why i have such a strong reaction to insecure is because there's a baby that pops up there's always a baby that pops up every time every time we are trying to get back on a good foot a baby pops up and i realized that the reason i had such a strong reaction to insecure is because this is what happened in the game and it broke me down and it always breaks me down and it makes me frustrated and i just want them to come up with a different um a different plot and a different storyline but i'm already i think that in a week we've watched two seasons and these are not short seasons they're like 20 plus episodes a season so we've already watched two seasons and we have one more season i'm still conflicted about whether or not i'm gonna watch the um bet version i didn't realize that there were so many different like characters or characters actors in the bt season so like brandy is on the bt season jay ellis um man there's some other people that are like big name people but i'm like oh, okay i might consider possibly looking into it but right now i'm just gonna finish off my three seasons that i know and um love deep down in my heart and then we'll consider whether or not we're going to go past season three but I'm excited and I love it. And I'm still excited about Netflix and all these black shows that are coming out. Girlfriends is up next. Can't wait for Girlfriends to air on Netflix. But just if you have not watched the game in a while, if it's been or if you've never seen it, Ashley, all of this, all of the episodes, please watch it um, because it's just such a good time and it makes me feel good. And I wonder, is this one of those situations where art is imitating life or is life imitating art? Because I don't know a baby to just be popping up like this, you know? And so I'm like, where does this storyline come from? Because you're right, so often it pops up and, you know, it's predictable at this point. We're like, you know, like you said, let's give us a different storyline, like give us something different. So I'm eager for something different too. I hope that we get that um, in the next episodes or next seasons of Insecure for sure. See what this, what comes of this baby. Um and um i definitely am going i feel like that's like happy that's like joyous that's that's like a good vibe so you need more good vibes so i definitely am gonna lean into watching um the game uh this fall before fall tv comes back too so it's the perfect time to dig in and that wraps up this week's episode of School on Life. Thank you so much for listening. It's hard to believe we are fully into, uh, uh, you know, finishing the third year of the podcast, going into year four. We're excited for what we have for you for the remainder of this fall. Uh, one more episode in August. Uh, so check out our next week's episode on August 31st. Uh, and we'll talk to you then. Have a great week. School's out. Class dismissed.